Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. John and Gary Tees were two of the first Yellowknife-born and bred musicians to embrace the popular rock and roll music of the 1960s. They both cut their teeth playing the traditional country songs with the more mature players in town, but the excitement and irresistible groove of the Beatles' Can't Buy Me Love drove them to put their own band together. John was the one with the ears and the chops to lift the parts from the LP or 45 records and to teach those parts to the other players in the band. Hearing some of the recordings from back then, I can hear that he sang and played those parts true to the original, as opposed to interpreting them into his own rendition. There was a wide range of genres in his repertoire, and that kept him playing for audiences young and old. I can remember hiring John and Gary's band, The Stained Glass Illusion, for school dances and dancing to their music at local teen events and hangouts, but I never did get a chance to play music with them until much later. I was pretty focused on my own bands and back and forth to music college for the first six years or so I was playing bass, and around that time, John left Yellowknife to work and play in the South. The next I heard, he was being recognized along with a hundred other songwriters in a Nashville songwriting competition for his song, What Métis Means to Me. He moved back to Yellowknife and was playing at events in town. I was impressed by his songwriting chops as well as his attention, once again, to the melody and his intricate and accomplished finger-picking style on his guitar. In the few discussions we have had outside of this interview, his passion for music is still as strong as it was in his youth. Through our common experiences growing up here and sometimes blind obsession with our music, it's almost like talking to my musical brother. In this interview, John took me back to that time that I missed out on in the early Yellowknife music scene. He paints a picture of the places, the characters, and the times of a small northern mining town transitioning into a government center in the late 20th century. 
As with all of the interviewees, John was one of the prominent musicians providing the soundtrack behind those changing times. In the early days in Yellowknife, we had a lot of uh, a lot of house parties at our at our place, and there would be uh, a number of people that would come through and and be playing guitars. But mostly, it was my dad. He knew three chords, and that's where he stayed: C, F, and G. <laughs> so all night long, um, he would play C, F, and G, and and all these different songs. Um, songs that I can still remember today and uh, I was thinking of kind of doing a little uh, catalog of some of those and uh, and passing it over to the to the family so you know we can remember I've done some of the hymns I used to see listen to him walking around the house and he he, uh, he had a he was born a Presbyterian and he would be singing these old Presbyterian songs and I asked him one time about that and he said that their whole family was musically involved in in the church and they all sang harmonies and all this stuff and it wasn't until he came to the north and he started playing guitar oh another little anecdote there uh, my mom got fed up with the uh, parties and stuff like that and she grabbed the guitar one time and smashed it and Alec Loach promptly came back in and dropped another one in and <laughs> the party kept going. <laughs> Alex <What>? Senior. <laughs> yeah, Alex Senior. <laughs> yeah. I got my first guitar from him for a dollar. It was a Stella. It was an old Stella. It was tough to play. It was an old arch top. But, you know, nice old guitar. Just the same. You, think, you hardly ever see those anymore. Yeah. Um, I got started in music uh, through Gary, my hold, brother. Hold you back there. Yeah. What songs would your would your dad have been playing on the guitar? Yeah, he was singing hymns and stuff. Jim, like that. Uh, no, uh, at the parties, no, it was no hymns. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was all. Uh, it was uh, Jimmy Rogers um, songs, Hank Williams. There's one called uh, Cabin in the Woods. I remember him singing that one. It's an old bluegrass style. I, be, I believe Jimmy Rogers probably did that one too. Um, but a lot of the songs that were popular around the time, uh, of course, uh, Hank Williams had passed away back in 52, I think it was. So his memory and his songs were pretty hot around that time. So a lot of people were doing a lot of those songs. Various other people that you'd hear on the radio, Hank Lachlan and... Uh, uh, George Jones eventually, and Johnny Cash, all these guys, eh? Later on, from from CFYK, yeah. and the old radio station there, uh, and down on Fifty uh, First, is it? Yeah, Fifty yeah, First, there where the Friendship Center is now. I used to clean the place. Amazing, <laughs> <laughs> with Mary Leonard. Now we go and help her uh, clean the clean the building. So the house parties that you're talking about, were, you, you say Hank recently passed, yeah. Williams recently passed, so we're talking yeah. mid to late 50s here. That's right, yeah. Okay. He had such a repertoire of songs. He would play all night, right through to the morning. We would listen to this music, and we heard uh, the Gather Round program. Uh, Joe Toby was uh, doing his program. He was one of the guys. There was you know, several other people that came through that had... Uh, programs on CFYK. It was the only radio station in Yellowknife, eh? And this is all before before we had TV. Well, technically, 
I did see TV at uh, Hilda and Adlor Boucher's place, and it was because they were good friends with Harold Glick, and he put a, a TV in their, in their living room and put this big, huge aerial just about the size of the house that he could pick up Walt Disney coming in from the States. And we would get a little bit of a picture, but we wouldn't see a whole lot. We remember that's the first time I saw cartoons in black and white. That was before uh, uh, Brian North brought the first TV in to YKCC TV, I think it was called. Oof, I remember it. We used to sit out there, stand outside 40 below and watch uh, uh, watch TV because it was only on for a few hours before anybody had TVs. We'd go over to Glicks and watch in, in, the, in the front window and, and black and white television. <laughs> and uh, you would see, you know, mainline entertainers. And I remember seeing Tommy Hunter, and he eventually came to Yellowknife. And Smiling Johnny made it to... Uh, I never saw him on TV, but you would see some people on TV, and then once uh, all of a sudden they'd show up. Ian and Sylvia, Gordon Lightfoot uh, came... And Valdi, all these guys, they liked playing at the gymnasium at Sir John Franklin because the acoustics were really good, and they still are good somehow or other. That little spot on on the earth in Yellowknife <laughs> seems to have the best acoustics for some reason. Maybe there's a maybe it goes to heaven yeah, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> main, main line up there. Main line yeah, up there. Sure, yeah. <laughs> the names of some of the other people who'd come over to the house parties, the players, I guess. Archie. Oh, uh, Archie Ludit. Ludit. Uh, I remember uh, he would have. He was one of the people that that showed up there. Some other people I didn't know the names or anything like that. But my dad was the star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, anyway, you know, that's that's the one that stood out to me. Yeah. yeah. And and it wasn't until uh, we were in high school, Gary came home with a copy of "Can't Buy Me Love," a forty-five. And that's what did it right there. He said, John, John, listen to this. We put it on. Can't buy me love, you know. And that was it. He said, I said, oh, my God, that's good. And so he showed he showed me a few chords and stuff like that. And I said, where did you learn that? From Wolf Zulowski, he said. He's teaching over at St. Pat's. Oh, man, I got to join too. So I went and joined with him. So for two years, we took uh, lessons from uh, Wolf. That was the beginnings of it. I used uh, 1963 as my benchmark for when I, I learned how to play guitar. When I started playing guitar, and the reason I remember that is because it was the year Kennedy was assassinated. We would play in in uh, in bands around. Well, back in those days as well, I should mention Frank Wooters and Fred Henney. Former Mayor Fred Henney. Fred Henney actually came to the house once as well, and, and well, it's hard hard to play the the sax, but they, they uh, you know, they did play a little bit. So, and one of those deals anyway, because you know people went around visiting. You know, back in those days, it was a small town. There wasn't the the, the taverns or the saloons or the bars. We had yeah. later on, or even now, for that matter. The first pictures of the of the Gold Range that I've seen, it was a swanky looking little place, velvet seats everywhere. Oh yeah, 
Christmas or New Year's it was a big thing. It was all good food and everything set out and the whole works, eh? Oh, yeah. It was uh, when they first built the place, uh, J.I. Glick built that place and uh, they, uh, they built it to look really nice and stuff like that. So it was, it was the place to go to. Even the Yellowknife Inn, it, it had a real resemblance as well to the old stope up on the hill there in, uh, in Old Town by the monument. It was newer looking than, than the, the old stope because the old stope was, was built earlier, right? But they put a little more finesse into the, uh, into the Yellowknife Inn at the time. And uh, they had, uh, you know, a big staircase coming down. And, and they had uh, these long hallways in there. I sure remember that. But in the bar, I mean, we used to look inside there. And then in later years when we were in there, I mean, it was, it was nicely set up uh, when it, in, its, in its day. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember going in there. And the platters were playing there. Big Miller was here. Uh, I don't know, you might remember that, yeah. And uh, for way before him, B.B. Uh, King. B.B. King came, and they, di- they didn't have enough money to pay him. I'm not sure if I was playing at the time. I think I was just still learning how to play. B.B. King shows up. Well, there wasn't a lot of blues uh, audiences around in the north up here, but Somebody managed to get B.B. King talked into coming up here, and he did. Well, are we ever lucky? You know, and I went to the concert, and it was excellent. Linda Boucher and I played. Uh, that's the first time I saw Ted Wesley, too. I think Ted and his wife played uh, around that time as well. And a number of other people. Man, oh, man, it's, that's that's going back. I can't... Uh, can't remember the, those talent shows. Yeah. Would they have been like a regular thing, or was it just? It was. It was becoming a regular thing. Yeah, for a while there. Yeah, uh, I believe that uh, Native Cousins might have been there as well. Angus Bolio. Those guys were in the early '60s. I think those guys got going. So, so somewhere around that around the time, music was really starting to pick up. See, after after we'd done some of those things, I, I started playing for school dances. One of the first things that I did, uh, uh, we had a play at school, and and Dylan was one of my real idols at, at the time. And one of the last things that we wanted to do was do a protest march at the end. And and I was a little bit of a uh, crap dis- disturber, I guess, to stir the pot. <laughs> Around that time, the Auroras had been had been started up, and they, there was another band before them, before George Mandeville and. Uh, Matt the Cat Lafferty and Herbie Bolio. They called themselves the Arctic Ramblers, I think it was called. And that was the precursor band from Akecho Hall. I even watched them build Akecho Hall, for God's sake. And then I watched them tear it down. It's bloody amazing, you know. There used to be um, dances out at Con. I mean, in the later years, for sure, in the 60s and, 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 and so forth. But the 60s was really the real blossoming of music, I think, into uh, uh, probably everywhere, you know, when you think about it. But it really filled the yellow knife up. You know, every available hall was being used for something, you know. And and the sports teams were using the bands to do fundraisers. So that created an opportunity for us to get out and play. 
when you think about it, you know, it's a good, it's a really good idea because um, it's good old fashioned entrepreneurial uh, know how that's you know putting that kind of stuff together. There's no grants and stuff like that for anything. People just put their heads together and people came out and partied and you know a certain amount went to the went to the team and the, somebody sponsored and all the rest of that. So the team they wanted good music and and what have you. So uh, we had to stay as versatile as possible. So we played at places like out at out at Giant, out at Con, in town at the uh, at the Legion and the Elks. Uh, those were the main the four main places to play, other than school dances and stuff like that. So the Arctic Ramblers, um, there was a Cockney that was in there. Jim Cockney, I think, was one of the players there. And then the Auroras hit the airwaves and were playing different places. You know, uh, it was before we were, we were going, so it was George Mandeville and Herbie and Matt and... Uh, Hans Nenza. I mean, that set the bar. Oh, God, we're going we're gonna to have to find some, you know, instruments. And Harold Glick had all the instruments and stuff like that, so he was able to order stuff in for us. So my first guitar, my first electric guitar, was a, a yellow Harmony Les Paul lookalike with a kitchen bumper kind of a protector around it. And it was yellow. Uh, oh, my God. But the price was right, eh? And I couldn't wait to get the the paint off it and change it, change the color. <laughs> I probably did that. Eh? I start changing it and stuff like that. We'd start ordering guitars through uh, Sears, and and uh, I remember uh, talking to Eric Christensen. He bought a a Tisco or Tisco Del Rey, I think it was called, guitar that was worth. $135 or whatever it is through Sears turned out to be a very valuable guitar. Mm. But that's, you know, that's his... I'll leave that story for him. Eh? Okay. Yeah. Who are some of the, the musicians, young musicians that you were working with so during that time building up to your... My brother and I uh, stuck pretty close together there with uh, uh, with what we were doing and... Uh, and Wayne Bertrand being a schoolmate, and uh, Larry Glowich. We all got started playing at, at school, you know, like especially if we're learning from uh, Shudlowski, and next thing you know, Larry's got a set of drums, and Wayne, all of a sudden, he's got a new, a new guitar. And so we were playing gigs and like at, at school and that, and tr trying to earn a little bit of extra cash and stuff like that to buy buy our instruments and buying them on time, go to Glicks and get, uh, uh, put some money down, keep paying it off, that type of thing. I think we called ourselves We Four. Then we added one more, we could call it, okay, We Five. And then it evolved into Stained Glass Illusion. And, you know, the, the changes in the different people that came along in that, in that time, Tony Gilchrist was with us, with, uh, Stained Glass Illusion, and uh, uh, Wayne was with us, and then uh, we picked up Sue Leon, and uh, we picked up Penny Valentine, Penny Almond at the time, before she got married. Those were interesting days. Uh, the, the name, Stained Glass Illusion, I was asked about the name, 
And I didn't like the way they were running St. Pat's, you know, the school I was going to. And I, I, I let them know about it. You know, you got all these, these ideas when you're young to change the world. Eh? So rebellion against having to take religious classes and stuff like that. Imagine that, going to a Catholic school and then you're fed up with taking religion, you know, the catechism. And I told them, you're running it like a, a communist gulag, you know. I said, this is communism. I said, and, and, and it was Sister Isidore, and she said, well, you're right. Okay, the end of the end of conversation. <laughs> you know, I had never been told. You know, once you get that and somebody agrees with you, you know where to take it after that. <laughs> so important lesson from the sister there. Yeah, yeah. So various people came along uh, after that, and we evolved. Uh, uh, I remember we we uh, just called ourselves friends. After a while, there uh, JT joined us. He was a really good drummer. He was, you know. And uh, Gary again, and Suleon, and myself. We played for the commissioner's ball there. We were all dressed up there. This and Gary's got some pictures of us uh, playing that time. Um, also, back before that, now, just as I remember things, Archie Ludit had uh, uh, people were really impressed with his picking and stuff like that. He's a hot guitar player in town, in, in Yellowknife's hottest guitar player at that, you know, in those days. And they really liked the way he uh, he played and stuff like that. And he was almost like a god, you know. When you, you go to his place and you see all these, all this guitar stuff, and and uh, wow, you know, it's just like oh man, this is the star, this is the star, you know. <laughs> and um, you know, his family, I mean, had always been close to our family, and stuff like that. They had a band going. I don't recall what the the name the name was. In later years, he played with uh, Northbound Freeway, but uh, way before that, uh, in the Serene family, when they moved to town, uh, the old man worked uh, as a body man for for Freeman Perkins, and he had all these boys. And his eldest son, by that point, he'd left he'd left home and he was married. French, his name was Frenchy. And he was a hot guitar player. He could do th- he could do stuff with that guitar. And up until then, uh, George George Mandeville. When I watched George, George had a Supro uh, guitar. It's called. And Supro is a uh, is an Italian make. And Billy Gibbons has hundreds of them. Here, George had, like, I, I didn't know who Billy Gibbons was, and I don't even think a, 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 uh, ZZ Top was even going at the time. But but here, George Mandeville has this, it looks like a Jazz Master Fender copy, but it, uh, this fantastic guitar, and he's playing it through a Baldwin, a Baldwin amp uh, meant for an organ. And he had that darndest nicest sound that he could get out of that thing and they were doing the ventures and they were doing uh apache and all these songs at the time that that had been on the radio and you'd hear them and uh he those guys were picking that stuff up and playing it for dances and stuff like that so they were all dressed the same and uh 
man, they were like gods around here, you know, uh, the Auroras. And that was their name, the Auroras. And uh, really nice, you know. It's, uh, they had uh, wine-colored sport jackets with the gray flannel slacks and uh, shirts and ties all decked out nice when they go play. Man, it was it was really something to see. Yeah. But that, you know, that's the way it was back at that time. Right? That time for sure, yeah. Yeah. And then as various people came through, through town, as, as Yellowknife evolved through the 60s, um, we played at the uh, Folk on the Rocks, and uh, I remember the first, like the first one was right there at Frame Lake just shortly before I left. So I was here until 79. I left uh, Yellowknife until 97. But um, various people that were coming to work in Yellowknife and their, their families, like their sons, we would be playing with them. I remember a guy by the name of Chuck Joyal right around the time uh, that he was a drummer, a good little drummer, man, oh man. There was another guy that was a, a sax player. He played a tenor sax, I think it was. And he, uh, and he came from back east as well, but he was, I don't remember what his name was, but uh, all these various guys that we'd be jamming with and that. So like when the 60s came along, there started to be a lot more jamming and stuff like that going on. So... It was like anything kind of goes, eh? And somewhere in there, uh, oh, Randy Denman was mm. was teaching at the time. Uh, I liked I liked the feel that he had uh, on uh, the way he played the uh, piano. Thanks for 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 covering um, all of those guys. You sort of touched on it before, and, and uh, oh, Sandy Wilson. Uh, okay, yeah, Sandy Wilson. Uh, when Sandy, uh, he was a hell of a guitar player. He came into uh, NT Knife and Terry Mercer, heck of a, a keyboard player. Man, oh man, there was some nice music. And then JT got together. Those three guys, holy man, there's some good music going on there. Yeah, when those guys hit town, uh, so. The evolution of the music, it got, it was getting better and better as time. It was very basic back in the 50s and, and, uh, and Yellowknife being so, so isolated in a lot of ways. And every now and again, there'd be a splash and somebody would come to town and, wow, look at that, you know. Um, you know, people like Valdi and, you know, uh, all those other guys, Ian and Sylvia. Those guys, when they come up too, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's the same for today for yeah. for me as it was for you back then. They come in and they sort of kick your ass around the block and they kind of go, okay, there, that's that's how it's done or that's how that cut does yeah. it. And you learn, you know, you learn yeah. so much just by going and watching them play. You don't even yeah. need a lesson. That's the lesson. Yeah, that's right. And then you Absolutely. run back home and just practice yeah. and practice and just yeah. keep, keep working at that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, I was going to say Frank Wooters, and uh, back in the 50s, the Little Legion was down on uh, 50th. There were the, beside the coke plant, I can't remember the name of the place now. Yeah. Oh, I helped to build that building, too. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, you built this town. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? The, uh, the twist. Yeah. yeah, the twist. Yeah. And so, yeah, I helped to put the, the bricks up there, and that was a hell of a job. It was Pyramid Construction was the name of the, the company. We used to go and play for the, for those uh, in those places. But before the, before the, uh, they built that building, 
It was a little ramshackle, one-story tar paper shack that, that was the original Vincent Massey Legion in, in Yellowknife. And there was a lot of stories around there because, the, you know, a lot of the... It was, you know, it was all members only, right? You know, the same same kind of thing. So there was a lot of vets around that time as well. And uh, you had to be signed in and all the rest of that stuff. But uh, Frank Wooters played drums. Fred Henney played uh, sax. Archie played uh, guitar. And, oh, Betty Stevens. Oh, good Betty idea. Stevens played, uh, played piano. piano. I can hear it now. Yeah. Yeah. So on Remembrance Day, all these people would get together and and do their, you know, they'd, they'd be playing music there, and the beer would flow. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, and there was a lot of drinking in those days, you know, or it's more noticeable, I guess, because it's everybody's closer together, you know, and that's the way it was back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Before as before the road came in, all of that. Yeah, waiting for that beer barge to pull up and uh, yeah. and all the rest of that stuff too and yeah, uh, yeah no it was pretty hard drinking town well, it was two three gold mines yeah. probably more you know yeah. so I mean it was definitely mining town so oh yeah absolutely work hard play hard yeah oh yeah <laughs> I remember hearing about various people who were pretty good musicians that were miners and they and they'd, they'd be gone they'd come in yeah. and they'd be gone eh? yeah yeah you might not even hear their name. Well, for sure. I, I sort of, you know, in the research and just reflection for the thing that I did with con kids, I mean, I yeah. hung out there as a kid. Yeah. But, I mean, those people were coming over. It was, I mean, they were still digging digging out from under World War II, probably, yeah. you know, even into the even into the mid-50s and beyond. Yeah. Uh, and uh, coming over here and landing in this place you must have just thought you've yeah. just been dropped into paradise you and your family and there's your job and yeah. there's your boat go out and drag some fish out of the lake or whatever yeah. so they're bringing their cultures and their customs and their musics right yeah. to to this little mm-hmm. two, three, four thousand yeah. uh, population town yeah. so that, even in that time how cosmopolitan it probably was and how lucky we were probably to grow up in that yeah. with uh, all of those different cultures coming through here and then the indigenous population as yeah. well so yeah and believe it or not there was a lot of ukrainian and and accordion playing yeah, yeah, like, yeah. wow you yeah. know and then every now and again you'd have somebody that could really play that thing you know and uh fiddle music you didn't hear a lot of it at the in the early days i didn't anyway until you know, well, you'd have to say early days. I mean, it was there. It just didn't get to Yellowknife soon enough. You know, there was uh, every now and again you heard it, but uh, more so as time went on, you, you started to hear a lot more fiddle, and it was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of it in the in the communities just with the nature and how the fiddle sort of dropped into this land that way. Yeah. That it existed out there before it existed in a lot of different places. I mean, even yeah. predating the guitar yeah. in some places, yeah. you know. The fiddle music that I remember the earliest was Angus Bolio and Richard Lafferty. They were the two, the two main fiddlers that uh, uh, that I can remember, and um, you know the people who were associated with them, with the, the music and what have you. And um, I mean, what a legacy uh, both of those gentlemen have, you know, for playing in the time. 
and I've played with them, with them both, and uh, traveled with them both, and it's uh, they've eclipsed us in, in in a lot of ways, and in terms of their their legacy, you know, and on the time that they that they've been playing those guys, and the Native Cousins Band, uh, Cecil Lafferty and Alan Cardinal and uh, Tony Buggins, and they've got their own legacy there too, and. Uh, uh, Leander, Leander mm. Bowie. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I always liked uh, Leander's playing. When I first heard Leander was back in in the in the '60s when when you heard those guys like uh, playing at the Dog Derby. Mm. <laughs> they used to call it the Dog the Derby. Dog Derby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Caribou Carnival. And uh, oh man, who's that hot guitar player from Fort Res? Huh? Yeah, Leander, and he had some good licks there. Yeah, you know, and then Tony as well. You know. Yeah, all those guys. We used to have gigs every weekend. We could play at the Legion of the Elks or or out at Giant or Con. We had extra money coming steady. You know, just as young musicians. Still going to school. Yeah, and still going to school and stuff like that. And afterwards too, you know, even yeah. when we were when we were working in that. Yeah. And then traveling uh my first Sojourn out to, out of uh, out of Yellowknife was to was to travel to Smith. That was a big deal. Oh my God, we we got to go and play in Smith, and uh, it was for a grad dance, and they just loved us going down there. You know, I think we were all 16 years old or something <laughs> at the time. You know, that was really something to be able to do that. They paid for us to go down to to Smith to play. And then, you know, in later years, later in the 60s, the uh, UM Squared, Tommy Hudson's band, there was a Blind Onion, Pat Burke's uh, uh, band, Blind Onion, I think, out of Smith, right? There's a whole other music scene in the Northwest Territories that happened south of the lake, over in uh, Decho, another one up around uh, Norman Wells, and then yet another one, up in the Delta, there's fantastic amount of history and music that, that's been going on since back in the 50s and even prior to that. Even some of that is even more, so, more, more of it going on uh, before Yellowknife. Just incredible. It happened in that space and time. And yes. then it's almost like it was moving so fast. Yeah. It, everything was just moving forward, at, at, like fast forward. Yeah. And, and uh, 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 up here, and, and I sort of sound like a broken record, but politically and economically and culturally, I mean, all of that stuff was like on fast forward. Yeah. And so uh, it wasn't as if there was a lot of time to sort of dwell on what sort of happened 10 years earlier or why it happened that way or who the players were and all the rest of yeah. that stuff because it was all just really moving forward and even the music and I mean again I ask you what kind of music was happening at your house parties yeah. and it was like the straight up country and yeah. that's what everybody says it was yeah. straight up country or old time fiddle music and that yeah. was it and then it all started to change but then it started to change really fast that's right so for you guys 
coming in and learning your your basic GC yeah. D chord yeah. uh, to a Hank yeah. Williams song, yeah. and then all of a sudden you get hit with the Ventures, and then you get hit with Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like yeah. like talk about fast forward, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, the, the technology was moving was moving ahead fast too. Eh? So a thirty year span after the after the tr- after the close of the war, the 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 Second World War, from nineteen fifty on. To 1980, that was the the kind of the golden age of mm-hmm. of the all of that music. Although the 80s had had was an evolutionary time too. I was south by that point, but uh, um, a lot of good music that evolved through the 80s and 90s too. Eh? Mm-hmm. All of all of those those changes that like we were talking mm-hmm. about, and, and you were talking earlier about radio. And another question I have is sort of how did you get your music and, and some of the places that you 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 got to, and when you were learning songs, how did you get those songs, or how did you hear those songs? Yeah. There was a couple of guys, uh, Rick Fader and another guy that worked for Transport Canada. I think he was a guitar player, and Rick was into recording. So we would go out to Transport Canada and use one of their rooms to do some recording and stuff like that. And uh, we would be playing music, just learning a little bit about recording at that time because those guys knew they came from the South. They had the tech, some of the technical background. And then Roy, Roy Galloway uh, recorded us. So somewhere in the CBC archives recorded at the old CBC where the subway is right now. There's some recordings of us uh, from way back in the 60s. Roy recorded the, the, well, I guess essentially it was the Stained Glass Illusion, our band. And, and it was right in the CBC studio. So we were learning about, and it was all done on tape and stuff like that harder to do back in those days like the technological glitches that can happen and just getting the sound that you want you know and and it's up to the guy that's doing the recording to he's really steering everything and then at the end you know he plays it back for you hey wow that's cool (laughs) you know and uh what year would that have been roughly that would have been 65 maybe 64 yeah so, like, within two years, two, three years after I'd, I'd learned how to play guitar, we were starting to record already. Sitting there in the, the recording studio, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, like I say, it, it, it started to happen, like, like just really, really fast. Yes. Um, so, Glicks and YK Radio were happening, and you were, you were freezing <laughs> watching yeah. the first television outside the window there. Yeah. That's a beautiful picture, that one. Yeah, um, right beside the Gold Range. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and all the drunks would be coming out of the Gold <laughs> Range, and and uh, you know we're kind of we're just trying to watch uh, Bonanza. You know, <laughs> I would like to thank John for sharing his rich musical life story with musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life, and the full interview transcript, check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com, linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee, 
and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series. And to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Braden. Thanks for listening.